At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Comeback Stories is a production of Inflection Network and iHeartRadio. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Comeback Stories. I'm your co-host, Darren Waller. Excited to be here with my friend, my guy, Donnie. Donnie, how you doing, brother? And glad to be here with you. Yes, sir. Our guest today is uh, a special one. We've been trying to track her down, all the rescheduling and everything kind of gets in the way sometimes. Uh, but super excited to have someone who has been a three-time NCAA champion, multiple-time world champion. Um, I mean, the All-Americans in college are almost uncountable at this point, but we have uh, the great Lolo Jones with us today. Lolo, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry about all the you know complications with scheduling. I was just waiting for you to get traded to the Giants so I could get free tickets. All good, man. It, it always works out the way it's supposed to. But uh, we're grateful to have you on here to unpack more of your story and all the adversity that you've overcome. That's kind of our mantra here on Comeback Stories. And we'd love to start from the beginning with you. We want to know what was life like growing up for you? Well, life growing up, uh, it was difficult, right? Like I had a dad that was in and out of prison my whole childhood. And my mom was a single mom of five kids. And not only that, you know, I'm biracial. So my mom is white, my dad is black. So at the time, it was different times, you know, like the 80s and the 90s. And I lived in Iowa, which is predominantly Caucasian at the time, uh, wasn't really accepting of interracial uh, couples. So I remember we walk into places and there's my mom who's white, blonde hair, blue eyes, walking in a store or restaurant with five, you know, brown kids. It was, you know, shocking at the time. And then my dad, who was amazing dad, uh, and he's passed away now, uh, you know, he just struggled. He just uh, struggled with some things. And like some of it now that I'm on the other end of it, I wonder if like, you know, just got caught in the vicious cycle or being like the only black guy in certain towns was just always picked on, you know, but he will admit to his faults for sure, but an incredible dad when he was actually back, like, you know, not locked up, you know, and even when he was locked up, he'd always stay in contact, you know? So 
you can be incarcerated and still be an incredible father. And um, yeah, so it's just rocky childhood, though, with having to deal with that. And um, that's why I am the person I am today, because uh, there was so many things that are always changing in my life. Like we could never afford uh, rent for a very long time. So my mom was always getting evicted when my dad was incarcerated. And so we moved around a lot. Like I had like seven or eight schools within seven or eight years. Like I, every year was a different wow. school. And, um, you know, I just needed to find so- something stable. And that stability came from playing sports because, you know, whenever you're on a sports team, you have a team and you're locked in and there's a schedule and there's practice and it's the same routine. And so all of my energies just went into that to just, I just wanted something that was just like concrete, not changing. <laughs> when everything else in my world was going madness, you know? So mm, no doubt. I mean, that's what I was from all the things that you named from, you know, parents that were two different races, all the schools, um, growing up in an environment where not too many people look like you. I'm like, that sounds like the making for kind of like a identity crisis. Just like, I don't know, like who I am, like how I should be, how I should show up. And, um, it, it makes sense how being in sports starting in, I don't know what age you started in track, but getting into those environments because you can kind of just lose yourself in that and, and, you know, exert yourself physically, exhaust yourself as a kid. I mean, that's all you want to do is just go around and play and just have a good time and and, and not, and not worry about all the madness that's going on around you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there was a time where, um, you know, we were so young and my mom gave each one of us a blanket, like all me and my siblings, a blanket. She packed us in the car and she just started driving and I had no clue where we were going. We just kept driving and driving. And finally we went to a church and that's when I found out that we had just lost our house. We were evicted and she had nowhere to go. And she was just driving around in tears, like trying to figure out where to take five kids. You know, she's homeless. So, and we lived in that church basement for a month and in that time, you know, like it was a Salvation Army. And so it was like, I guess, a emergency shelter they had at the bottom. So they had some showers and stuff like that. And we, we slept on these army cots, you know, for a very long time. And but the top of it was this basketball court, you know. So like, you know, most churches in uh, Lord Baptist non-denominational have some form of a basketball court. <laughs> and I mean, that's like, it's like ingrained. It's like there's a cross and there's probably a basketball court outside or inside. And and this one had, it was a very small, small church. The basketball court was probably just the size as like the actual worship center. And um, so we had this huge basketball court to play in. And like, you know, I just, you know, they had basketballs I played. And to be honest, I thought I was going to be a basketball player, like a professional basketball mm-hmm. player, like at one point, like in middle school, I was very passionate about basketball. Like I'd be outside for hours dribbling, practicing on my own shooting. Like I remember in my middle school yearbook, they, uh, you know, they put what everybody's going to be when they grow up. And they said that like Lolo Jones was going to be a professional uh, basketball player. Mm. Um, It wasn't until high school that I realized that essentially I was just really good at the running part of basketball. Like I was incredible at the running part. Like I could break any of their best offensive player and shut them down to where they couldn't score because they couldn't shake me. I could I could stay with anybody. I could break a full court press if they had people on me. It, I'd bring it. Right. Like I would just right. get the ball to my team. But 
when I went to go shoot, it was an absolute nightmare. I'd probably like only scored two points on average per game, you know? So, uh, learn quickly that, you know, running was the sport for me. <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, that's lo- looking back, like in that church environment where you said the basketball court was upstairs, like, did you ever at any point feel like, oh man, like we're homeless or like this is a terrible situation? Or did you have a perspective of like the, it was cool to play basketball? Like what, what was going on in your mind then if you can remember that? Well, it's a little bit of both. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, like there's a basketball court. I can play on this basketball, indoor basketball court at any time, anytime I want. But then the uncool part was, uh, at that time, the Salvation Army was having summer day camps for kids. So essentially what they had to do is make sure that we were up from the bottom of the basement because there was only one way to get to the day camps. So we had to make sure that we were up before the kids arrived. Otherwise, they would kind of uh. see us coming from like this place, you know, and they'd ask questions. So they didn't want the kids to know we were homeless. So that was the only kind of weird thing is like trying to protect the like me and my siblings from embarrassment but i mean we grew up so poor there were so many moments of trying to protect us from embarrassment like you know all of my christmas presents from i think the age of like fourth grade to sixth or seventh came from you know churches like one one christmas imagine getting one christmas present and that was donated you know or having to eat your thanksgiving meals at shelters or church free church meals because your mom can't for the Thanksgiving dinner. So, or standing in line for, you know, uh, commodities, you know, food, having that back in the day, like I was young enough to actually have to use food stamps, like be paid for food stamps, not these cute little debit cards people have now. I would have loved that back in the day, but like we literally had paper food stamps, a book, and you'd have to rip it out and go and actually use it. And I would always be so mortified going into grocery stores or gas stations to use them in case like my friend saw me with my mom using them. And like, sometimes my mom, cause you know, she learned, you know, from my dad trying to hustle the system to like, what they would do is they would have these, they'd give each of the kids like a $5 or a $10 paper food stamp. And if you, back in the day, if you would go in and buy a thing, you'd get cash back. And so like, if they're trying to actually pay for the rent, you like, she had five kids, send each kid in and buy like the cheapest amount of candy something and get the real money back and then give right. the, that money so you can try to pay rent. And I just remember like wanting to help with my parents, but I'm like, oh, I just hope no one from my school sees me like try to like use this actual food stamp. It's mortifying, you know? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like from in my story, it's it's a lot different on where the embarrassment comes from. Like my as a kid growing up, I was embarrassed of like myself um, because of, you know, I was different. I was weird. I was strange. I was very sensitive, very emotional. Um, and I felt like a, it. I was embarrassed to show who I really was. I mean, even as a, as a man. And um, I felt like I had to go into like people pleasing mode to like overcompensate for that. Did you ever feel like you had to do that because of the environment that you grew up in? Or was that we're we're completely opposite. I actually went the other route. I was super weird and I was definitely introverted. And I read a lot of, I was very nerdy growing up. I would read a ton of books, stay home. I was never really wanting to party or anything. I'm not, not a people person because I was never aware of that. Like I was just always just in my own kind of like, 
bubble because I didn't want to have friends because I didn't want them to come over, be like, hey, can we hang out? Like, where are we going to hang out in some crappy apartment where my family has no food and I can't I can't have friends over? Like it got to the point where I finally let one one of my friends into my world and she would start bringing me food because she knew I had no food in my house. And like her parents were like, you got to stop bringing her snacks. And like they had no clue. Like I literally had no food at my house, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just learned very quickly not to have close friends because I couldn't let them into my world. I couldn't let them into mm -hmm. CM. We lived. We were all smashed together in these small apartments or you know, if you wanted to hang out, like I don't even have any snacks to offer you, you know? So at Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just five dollars. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Darren, I'm glad you brought that up about your backstory because we've, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast about Darren's story specifically and being different um, because he was told he wasn't black enough. So it was uh, essentially that is, and I'm speaking for him, but his core wound ultimately what led to oh, his yeah, addiction. I, I didn't know that's what he was talking about. Yeah, I had that all the yeah. time. Oh, yeah, yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't transferred to people person, but like even to this day, I'm still not black enough. You're as a biracial person, kid, adult, you're never going to be black enough. You're never going to be black enough for the black side. And you're definitely not going to be white enough for the white side. It is becoming more acceptable because more and more people actually interracial dating marriages are, are have skyrocketed. But I remember being at LSU and actually even in high school, but it really came to forefront at LSU because so here's this biracial girl. She grew up in the North, predominantly in a white area. I mean, Iowa, not trying to shade Iowa. I had an incredible upbringing in Iowa. It's a great place to raise kids, but there's a lot of white people. But there, you know, the culture is just not there like it is in the South. Right. It's changed since then, but like at the time, yeah, no. So I, you know, I grew up with my, mostly my white side, you know, and um, when I went to LSU, it was a culture shock. Like, uh, and they went in on me. They, they went in on me. And I remember those were like when I had like my, my first physical fights, you know, because they couldn't understand why I wouldn't say I was black. 
and like they were they would get angry like no you're black you have i don't know if you face this but it's always like it goes back to this quarter you have a drop you're it's like this plantation yeah. that yeah. repeated if you have a certain an ounce amount of black in you you're black and that's like what slave owners created you know and i would tell them i was like look my mom carried me nine months in her stomach and she is white and she said it is disrespectful to her for me to claim I am nothing but biracial because I I spent nine months inside of a white person. And so to not honor her is disrespectful. And they would get furious and like this whole combative, you know, no, you're black, say you're black. And then there's been times where I was on dates with white guys and they're, they, you know, or in a party. I, there was one time I was in a party with white people and they're dropping the N word, like the ER, not the like rap song version. Like they're, right. they're being racist, you know? And I'm like, popping off because i'm like i am actually mixed with black like going hard you know and uh or there's been a time where uh, a guy i went on a date with a guy and we're you know he were talking in the car and he's like getting to know me and i was like he, he asked the question and i answered i was like yeah i'm biracial my mom is white my dad's black he literally almost got in a car accident because he thought he was on a date with a white person <laughs> like i was i like there's been so many instances where it's just like whoa <laughs> and so but um, I love being biracial because it allows me to see both sides of the perspective. And I feel yeah. like there's times now where I've been able to be the merger and the gap when maybe one side doesn't understand the other side. And it's it, and especially as volatile as the climate has been lately, I think we need more of that interracial dating just to like kind of bring in like both perspectives. Facts. That's why I brought it up because I, as you were sharing your story, I couldn't help but think about Darren's story because when we first started the podcast, that's what we asked. Like we asked you that first question, what was growing up for you like? And Darren's answer was confusing. And as I hear your story in, in the beginning and growing up in Iowa and being biracial and being in all these different places with no stability and dad not around, I have to feel like it was super confusing for you also. It was confusing, but I think Dan took the route that my brothers took. So my brothers have all struggled with addiction, probably for those very reasons, you know, because as a man, it's the macho. It's, you know, you guys are going to get hit harder on the race thing than I, as a female, you know, as a female, I can kind of, you know, if I straighten my hair out, I'm, I'm a little bit more blendable. I'm not going to lie. You know, like if I'm not, if it's the winter and I lose my tan, I can get quite pasty, you know? So it's just, it's a little bit different for the guys. And uh, I think it's interesting because all of my, bro well, not all of them, two of my brothers have struggled and they've been open with this with addiction, you know? And I, instead of having addiction to drugs or anything, I had an addiction to like sports. Like I, that's where I, it was just, I was locked in on sports because that's what, that was like my saving grace, you know? Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, I mean, I I don't know a detail about your brother's stories, but I always tell people with as far as addiction is concerned that I didn't set out thinking like, yeah, I can't wait to just ruin my life and just crash and burn in flames by drinking and doing drugs. It started with, nah, there's just a lot of shit going on in my head, a lot going on inside of me that I just want to change the way that I feel. I just wanted to quiet down a little bit. So it's like, you know, you can, you can understand men more now and I'm sure you can understand your brothers because it's like, they didn't set out on a path to just like be isolated from the fam and, and mess their life up. It was just like, nah, bro, like I'm, 
I'm going through things. I just want to change how I feel. Yeah. And I think those fights that I was having in college, I remember specifically my brothers were starting to already have those in middle school and high school, you know, like with the race and this and this and that, you know, I didn't really get hit hard until a little bit later, but I was more mature and able to, you know, when I had to put those hands on people. No, <laughs> did your, did your dad also spend a lot of time growing up in Iowa? Cause I would have to think if he was there also, it would be very confusing for him, which would make sense as to why maybe he went down that same road. Well, my dad was not in prison for any addiction. He was, my dad was a, a military. He was a golden gloves and boxing, you know, uh, he did some wild stuff. Like, I think he robbed a bank. Like, we don't even know all the stuff he did. Like, he's like a, a cowboy. You know, he's a, he like he's the type of person that will be like bragging about how one time he outran a cop, you know. Uh, but then he's also the same type of dad that would when I remember we'd always buy these crappy cars because we can't get a nice car. So whenever he would like whenever he would get out of jail, like it's he's back with my mom, like nothing skipped a beat, you know. And, um, we'd buy these crappy cars cause you know, we're not that rich and they'd always break down all these junkers. They always break down. So like there'd be times where we'd get stuck in the middle of nowhere. And this is before Uber, Lyft, you know, you can't afford a cab because cabs are back in the day, they were crazy expensive, you know? So we would get stuck with like a car, a broken car and you have to make it home and we'd have to run, you know? And there would be times where we didn't have a car at all. And we would run to the grocery store. And I'd be with my dad like next to him and he's teaching me how to run and he's like carrying sacks of groceries and he's like, all right, like control your breathing, like work on it, like calm your heart rate. Like this is my dad in middle school, uh, uh, in and out of prison, you know, he's the one that's teaching me how to run, you know? And so like, that's why I'm just, uh, I think we're so quick to just throw away people when they, mm. well, let's say they have addiction or let's say they they're they've been incarcerated and i've had so many precious moments of my dad you know in between you know those crimes or whatever he was locked up for i think one of them was like you know violating probation you know or who knows so yeah i think for darren and i a lot of times we just didn't get caught and we're offered a <laughs> lot of a lot, a lot of grace from god and um yeah i get that i wanted to circle back to your um path into running where I've heard the story of that you you became a good runner because you used to run to school is that right yeah run run uh we never like I said we really never had a car so any school I had to go to I from elementary middle school and even high school I walked every day and uh I remember in middle school you know you walk in as a teenager you want to sleep in so you realize oh well like <laughs> I can sleep in more, but I'm going to have to run. And then it got to the point where I started uh, playing the cello, which was dumb because you have to bring the cello back home every day. <laughs> Otherwise, the teacher would know you're not practicing and would give you a bad grade. So literally, I would have to bring this big cello home every day and then take it back the next day just for the sake of showing her I was practicing even though I wasn't, you know? <laughs> And if that thing is heavy and I would like literally be running with this huge cello the size of me because I'm in middle school. And it's funny because 
you know, that's essentially what my workouts became. So like when I was running to school, I would be like, okay, you're going to walk one block and then you're going to sprint the next block. You're going to walk the next block. Like it was like a fart lick where you run, walk, run, walk. That is literally, I still do these workouts for track to this day. And then carrying the bobs or carrying the uh, cello was like my bobsled stuff. Like when I went to the sport of bobsled, um, we haven't talked about it yet, but I'm one of the few athletes to compete in the summer and winter Olympics. Uh, we have to carry heavy, heavy equipment, like massive tools, toolboxes, and we're running and we're in the snow. And it's like, that was my childhood. So it was funny because when I first went to bobsled, they were like, Ooh, who's this track girl? Like this summer Olympian that has all these followers, you know, mm. she's on all these magazines and models. She's not going to be up for this blue collar sport. Like they were dogging me out. And they had no clue. And then when I went out there, I became the hardest worker on that team. And the coaches were like, what in the hell? Like they didn't understand it. And I was like, I grew up in Iowa. I walked to school, ran to school every day in snow and rain. Like I'm that when your grandma says, I used to walk and run in school and <laughs> that's me. So back off because I'm about to show you how to work. <laughs> that's great, man. Darren, I got to say, man, I'm loving how you've really made yourself at home in the big city. I'm curious, how are you getting around? You a subway guy, cab, Uber? I'm glad you asked, Donnie, man. I'm, uh, I got the honor to partner with All-American Ford over in New Jersey. Uh, they've been taking really good care of me since I got out here. And that's what I love most about them, man. They treat me like I'm family, not just a customer trying to get a deal or, or just a statistic. Um, you know, they give me great service. You can tell they got a commitment to quality. Um, the innovation is unmatched and uh, just so if anybody's you know like me trying to get around in new jersey don't know where to go i'm telling you go check out all american ford here in jersey they're gonna take real good care of you when we come back you'll hear more of this inspiring comeback story at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I want to get into like 
whenever I think of people's like success stories and when they start to really accelerate, I always think of like, what's the, like the parallel journey going on in their inner world. So what was it like at LSU when you're taking off and your career is just skyrocketing? Like was the, the pressure a lot? Was the success something that was like tough to handle in process? I'm sure you got a lot of attention. Like what was it like coping with so much success? Well, actually that's not my experience at LSU. So uh, I remember uh, I went, um, so in high school, I was the best, best athlete in Iowa, the state of Iowa, but that's a small state and it's not known for track and field. And I remember like I was getting letters from all over the country to get recruited. And, you know, I could have had my pick of the litter, but the problem is because I was coming from Iowa, we ran lower hurdles at the time. So even though I had the mm. fastest time in the country, it had an asterisk by my name. So some schools didn't want to recruit me, but like a lot of them did. And um, I knew I had to get a scholarship because like I said, my family's poor. I had no way to afford college. So I just was trucking it. And then LSU called. And so if anybody doesn't know anything about track and field, let me school you. LSU was like the Duke basketball. They have like the most NCAA titles in the history. I like, I think it goes back between them and Arkansas, but like, they're the boss like they won 13 in a row of ncaa titles um and if you wanted to be an olympian or pro athlete you knew going to lsu was going to increase your chances so it was hard for me because i actually had an academic scholarship to go to the uh like iowa state university and i turned it down for to accept this lsu scholarship and i remember my track coach everybody was like you're making the biggest mistake like LSU is not really known for academics, but I was like, I knew how strong they were in track, you know? And I knew that if I had any shot of, you know, continuing, I had to go to LSU. And so uh, they recruited me. And so when I go down there, I'm, I'm excited, you know, I'm like, wow, like they want me they're the best program. So I get there day one, I show up, they have signed three other freshman hurdlers. So mm -hmm. I knew that one of us was going to get cut by mid-season like that's how that they they're tough they don't care you know they care but they don't care you know and they make you work for it and uh so it was a really rough freshman year for me because I had the culture change you know I was used to four different seasons and in Louisiana they have hot and not not really that hot <laughs> so there's no snow the humidity was killing me it was it was making me have asthma attacks uh, it was a really hard adjustment for me. You know, I went from living in a predominantly white area to now we in the South, baby. You know, <laughs> we're, we're listening to trap music. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> so, uh, you know, anything from like the food, uh, the only food, the seafood I had ever had was like red lobster. And if you have red lobster in Louisiana, they, that's disgusting to them. They're that's like, at you. that's like, bro, that's like a sin to have red lobster. You know, I mean, everything like from spell saying go tigers, but it's like yo, it's like spelled G E A U X. Like, what is that? Like this cage in French. It was really hard. And, you know, and to keep your scholarship and to know that if you don't run fast enough, you will now not be able to afford college because uh, my mom had no money. So I just trucked it. And um, my freshman year, I really had a, you know, it wasn't outstanding, but I beat the senior on the team that year. And then I became the first one for LSU in the history of LSU to make a final as a freshman and earn my first All-American. 
And, you know, I was solid for LSU. But when you're saying, oh, were you a rock star? No, because the rock stars I was on the team with were Mona Lee. And she literally became an Olympian still in college. You know, like I say it was good, but like we had people just crushing it. And I won an NCAA title individual, I think my junior year. But I mean, I was in the mix, but. Would I consider myself a rock star? No. Like, did they peg me ever to be able to be good enough to go pro or make an Olympic team? No. So I really didn't start to shine until uh, after I was done with LSU. I was good. Don't, like, people knew my name, but I wasn't, like, the the staple piece of LSU, for sure. I was, you know, I was good. I, I helped them win championships. We won three out of the four years I was there of the team title. You know, my coach knew he could just rely on me, throw me in wherever he needed me, but I was not the rock star on that team. Hmm. I can definitely, I can definitely relate. My my college experience, um, I got in as a freshman, and I was a I played defense in high school, and they moved me to receiver when I got there. But they already had other receivers in my freshman class coming in, and guys they had in mind. So I'm just kind of like in the back of the pack, like and uh, playing like some special teams and whatnot. But um. And never was really do- a dominant force in college my whole career. I was just like always been a late bloomer from my body to football to, you know, I didn't really, really think I'd go to the league. I, I was big and ran a fast 40. So that's kind of how I snuck in the back of the draft. But, but yeah, I mean, but I feel like having that success and whatnot be delayed was like, honestly, looking back, like better for me. Like, I mean, I still had my, my double addiction life, but just looking at the football perspective of it, like, I feel like a lot of people can peak too soon, but there's not a lot of people that continue to get better throughout the process, throughout the journey, like long term. And I feel like that delayed gratification and delayed success and adoration can pay off for you. A lot of people don't want to hear that, though. No, they don't. They want their kids to be rock stars in college. And that I exactly had exactly what you're saying. Like, I I mean, I was a world champion even in my like 38. Like, that's insane as a pro athlete. So uh yeah I really you know uh like I went to my first Olympic trials after I graduated from college uh and I wasn't even top eight in the U.S. and like I thought that that was it and my coach was like I'll see you at practice next week and we just went to work and my first year pro I was like fifth through eighth in every race my second year pro I was third through fifth my third year pro top three and then the year of trying to make my first olympics out of college i was not only the fastest american not only the the person that almost broke the olympic trials record i was the fastest runner in the world so for me not having ever won an individual outdoor ncaa title in my event to be now in the best in the world and almost the best in history uh yeah like my peak wasn't in college for sure how did you handle that once you were the best what was your mindset was it um like was your worthiness the self-worth dialed in and ready to receive that recognition yeah i mean i never so i don't try to put too much emphasis on track or this and that because obviously my identity comes with my relationship with christ like i'm a strong christian that's my identity more than anything You know, I love track and field, but it doesn't make or break me. If I had to give it up tomorrow, like I'm constantly praying about that. Okay, God, if this is not what what you want me to do anymore, like let me know, make it clear. So um, 
my self-worth wasn't defined by being number one, just like it wasn't defined by being not number one. Like, mm. I felt like I was the same person when I was getting eighth place in every race as the same person when I was like, oh, wait, you're giving me my own hotel room by myself because I'm the number one hurdler in the world. Like, this is crazy. Like, I was the same determined, focused, like, let's do work. And even when I started, you know, because my this was how much they thought I was not going to be an Olympian is I could not even get a contract out of college. So like all the people I competed against in college were signing Nike deals, Adidas, like they were going pro and no one would pick me up. And so instead I worked at a gym. I worked at Home Depot. I drove a little scooter. You know, I kept my AC like pretty much off in Louisiana, which is insane. Like, you know, 90, a hundred degrees, no AC trying to save money you know, just hustling. And, uh, you know, so then when I finally got my big shoe deal, I'm the same person. I'm like, I just mentality is like, you grew up pro poor, like, just don't even think about the money. So like, I just put the money away, like invest it, save it. And I just stayed on the grind, you know, just keep the same mentality. I didn't want to ever become comfortable because I felt like I used that in my, uh, running and my competitions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I think a lot of people could have your same story growing up and you know, turn it into more of the victim mindset and really use that story um, to work against them. And you, it's like your childhood and everything you went through got you to where you are today. And I, I just want to bring back the importance of what you mentioned is your faith, because what you were saying was you weren't, your identity wasn't this track star. And for me, that hit home because my identity was baseball. And when baseball was stripped for me from injury, that's what led me down the path of addiction. I've, I had a, have had seven surgeries on my left knee and had a big traumatic surgery. Um, and, and for a while, I did blame it on that and the doctor and being overprescribed pills. But when, it, when I got to the root of it, which was in rehab, when I just was finally willing to get help, the root of my my addiction was the loss of the purpose because I didn't know who I was. There was nothing bigger 
um, than baseball for me. And I got all my validation through that. So as that was stripped from me, it, it literally almost killed me. Yeah. I guess I definitely see that. I mean, I, I don't want to sit up here and act like I haven't struggled with mental health and, and problems because I have. There were seasons where I had suicidal thoughts and stuff when, you know, I was getting criticized in front of millions uh, because, you know, I went to my first Olympics and, uh, you know, like I said, I was number one hurdler in the world. And everybody's like, who is this girl? She came out of nowhere. You know, she's so talented. You know, and I went to the my first Olympic Games in Beijing and I was just locked, you know, uh, focused as ever running. Like I remember the semifinal race, I actually slowed down and I still set a PB uh, because I wanted to save it for the finals. And in the finals, I was winning the race by a tremendous lead. I was on pace to break the Olympic record and I hit the ninth hurdle and uh, literally gold medal was just ripped from my hand and not only that when i crossed the line i saw that i hit that hurdle so bad i didn't even get top three and uh i just remember just cr crumbling to the track and just you know pounding the track and obviously i'm christian but i was cussing i was like Ugh, you know like i was pissed you know and i just started crying i just felt like that my insides had got ripped out and i just remember god whispered to me he was just like yeah, but you're here on the Olympic track. And four years ago, you were sitting at home crying because you didn't make the Olympic team. And so from that point on, um, I just realized that my failures, I need to use them to motivate, you know, and that's essentially what I did. Like growing up poverty, I use poverty to just use it for, you know, competing. And then when I, you know, wasn't the best collegiate athlete, I used that to, to get a contract. When I didn't get a contract, it's like I still fought. And then to make my first Olympic team and then lose the Olympic medal in front of millions, um, I used that to make another Olympic team because um, that time I had spine surgery before. So everybody's like, there's no way she's bouncing back from this. Her career is over. And then just to keep going, I, I got fourth at that Olympics and I was super frustrated and i was just like man like i feel like i'm punching the wall here like i'm so close to the olympic medal and i keep coming up short people are teasing me they're like lolo can't win at anything like the fact that i hit a hurdle and i never hit a hurdle and i become known as the girl that always hits hurdles that was heavy heavy on me to always get i'd be like let's say i was on twitter or x now and i'd make a joke about a basketball game and people were like shut up girl you can't even like you can't even get over a hurdle and they'd pull up the picture of me hitting a hurdle at the Olympics and use it to tease me. And all that could have broke me down. And instead I took that and I literally dumped it into a whole new sport and became one of the few people to make a summer and winter Olympics. So I've always, one of my favorite things I've always told people is failure, failures are your biggest motivators in life. If you use them, if they do not break you, they can be your biggest way out of the situation as fuel for the fire. Like it fills your gas tank with just motivation to just go. So, um, if anybody can get anything out of this talk today is that's what I would tell them. Like when a setback happens, when a failure happens, don't let it break you. Instead, use that. So just Fuel your fire to whatever goal you're trying to achieve. Oh, yeah, that's that's fire right there. Because my my favorite quote is Winston Churchill. Uh, success is moving from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm because there's 
plenty of parts in your story where you could have just folded up or been like, man, this is tough. Like from eight to 38. And it's like, no, like over time, like through these failures, through these circumstances, you've built the character to be able to not only push through those circumstances, but to be able to see them through a new lens, see them with a new perspective and actually see them as valuable to help you go to a new level, help you continue to, to write your story. And people need to hear that shit. Cause as human beings, we, we don't want discomfort. We don't want to be down on the track, pounding the ground. That's not how we write our story. We want that straight path, but without those moments, you're not here today, continuing to share your story and also doing that free from people's opinions from past performances like you are who you are and you have your identity and something greater and you epitomize everything that this show is about so we appreciate you coming on here and spending some time with us what thank you and i just want to say like what really taught me to be the amazing runner i am but also just how to just take leaps and strides in life so as a runner or you feel this too as an athlete, you guys are both athletes. There's always that part of the workout where it's extremely tough. Like you're having a hard workout, your lungs are burning, they're about to explode through your chest, your legs are heavy, you can feel the lactic acid just stinging you like bees. Well, I've taught myself when I have those moments in a hard workout to push through that, relax through that, enjoy, embrace the pain, and make it to the finish line. I don't break. I don't quit. I don't give up. And what I found is it hurts just as hard to give up as it is to push through. So like, let's say my coach has me on repeat 600 or repeat 300s or 200s. If I'm like, you know what, coach, I can't do this. And I back off. I'm still going to be in pain for about five minutes. If I push through, relax, breathe, focus on my breathing, it's the same amount of pain. It's just a controlled pain. And now I get that high of actually finishing my goal. And so what I try to tell people in life is when you hit that moment in life where you feel like, oh, everything is coming at you. It's too hard. You can't push through. If you give up, you are, it's not going to take away the pain immediately. It's literally, it's just a different type of pain. So just fight through, get to the finish line. And I promise you that high you get from not being stopped dead in your tracks is just worth it. And that's when you really start living. That's when you really start running. Like when you're running a race and you get through it, or if you're competing or being in athlete mode and you're just, nah, I'm getting through this. You literally, you start to live and it's awesome. And I, now I look forward to those hard moments in the practice where I know it's going to try to break me. I'm like, you're not going to break me. You're not going to break me. I love that. I love that moment in practice. And I love that moment in life because that makes or breaks people. We're so entertained here. One thing I wanted to circle back to was gratitude because it, it sounds like, well, a couple things that, that I think the listeners can take away that, you, that you've shared. One is faith, like believing in something greater than you, whatever you choose to call it. But you got to, I would hope you would know there's something out there, you know, running the show and it's, it's definitely not us. But then also the gratitude and how I believe gratitude changes the way we see the world. And the last thing to piggyback on what you were saying is how the most self-confident and the people that are filled with the most self-worth are the ones that keep the promises they make to themselves. So when you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, the residue of breaking those promises, I mean, it makes us so vulnerable 
to the internal noise, the not enough story that so many of us have, but then all the external noise and especially as an athlete. And then if you're dealing with social media and all the garbage and all the trolls on there, when we are keeping the promises we make to ourselves, we really become unshakable, especially with that faith. And it's not to say we're not going to be phased by it, but I don't think it hijacks us as much as it would if we didn't have a faith, a practice of gratitude, and we were following through on the things we said we were going to do. But I also even think if if you don't make promises to yourself, because I'm I'm not a very organized person, and I don't think I have promises to myself, but I will say that I just don't want to be stopped. And I don't, well, I don't want to be stopped by myself. You know, like I don't want to put limits on myself. And, you know, like I want to, I want to experience life to its fullest. And you never experience life more than when you come against an obstacle and you have that fork in the road type moment. And so much of society now is just like, cave, take the easy route, take the less painful route, because it, you really feel like it's the, that like, it's going to immediately take away your pain, but it doesn't like example. There's been so many times I've talked to people and they're like, I wish I would have kept playing sports, but like I wanted to go out and party because they thought that that immediate gratification was going to be better. And, and, and at that time it did, but then now they're 10 years later and they regret that decision. So it's like, when you reach that hard point in life, if you think backing off is going to make it the pain go away, it's going to make it easier. It doesn't because you might be thinking about that same decision 10 years from now. So you might as well buckle down, do a work, push through, and just keep taking another step to get to that finish line. That's all I would tell someone. It's just when you hit that moment where it wants to break you, instead of be like, ah, oh, I don't want this to be happening to me. Like, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm going to shine bright right now. And I guarantee you're going to come alive. Hey, you heard her. I ain't even going to try to follow that up. So, uh, Appreciate you guys. Appreciate everybody tuning in to Comeback Stories for another episode. Um, find us anywhere you listen to your podcast, iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, we're on Inflection Network YouTube. Uh, thank you, Lolo, again. And we'll see you guys later. Bye, guys. Thank you, Lolo. Peace. Comeback Stories is a production of Inflection Network and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. 
From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.